This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. Brett Kavanaugh is now Associate Justice Kavanaugh. That much is certain after senators narrowly approved his controversial nomination this past Saturday, putting an end to his bitter confirmation battle with a slim vote in his favor. But the end of that bitterness actually may not be close at all. Even as a phase of Kavanaugh's stories ends, another begins. One focused on the politics and the makeup of the court. Another focused on the very notion of how politicized the court may have become on account of not just this vote, but rather in recent years, the number of divisive stories and issues that have not only come down to be always associated by political motivations in the court, but are really shaking the core's tenets of the institution as sort of the final objective check on American power. This is American Enough with your host, Vikram Iyer. So what can we expect from Kavanaugh on some of the biggest, thorniest issues that are most often associated as political wedge issues to come before the Supreme Court? Of course, that question won't be answered with entire definitive certainty as we act, until we actually see him in play on the nation's highest bench. But there are cues to be found in Kavanaugh's past statements and opinions. Take a look at abortion. Perhaps the biggest question hanging over Kavanaugh's confirmation hearings in September was a matter of Roe v. Wade. Of course, this is the landmark 1973 ruling which made abortion legal nationwide. Now, much of the very institutions of this country, ranging from state legislators to funding for organizations like Planned Parenthood, have attempted to chip away at and undermine women's reproductive rights, even on the heels of Roe. But much to the anger and frustration of many conservative who have been seeking its reversal virtually entirely since, many are hoping that the ascendance of Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court will actually try and put a final nail in the coffin. But with Kavanaugh now on the court and with conservative justices having a solid maturity, well, is that moment finally at hand? Kavanaugh answered cautiously when asked about it during his confirmation hearings, saying that decades-old rulings was settled as precedent on the Supreme Court. In fact, Senator from Maine Susan Collins, whose final vote to advance Brett Kavanaugh through a yay vote for a cloture motion this past weekend, was actually heavily scrutinized for standing allegedly on the wrong side of history when it came to standing up for women's rights. But even her position was that she felt a guaranteed sentiment from Brett Kavanaugh that his vote would not undermine Roe. Asked about Planned Parenthood v. Casey, the 1992 case that affirmed Roe and asserted that states couldn't place an undue burden on women seeking legal protections, he called it precedent upon precedent. So as those statements get echoed, his federal judge record on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals adds a bit of nuance to these blanket assessments. Examples actually surfaced as recently as 2017. In a case that would later be decided by the Supreme Court, Kavanaugh's appellate court decision ruled in favor of an undocumented immigrant detention who had been seeking an abortion, in which he wrote in his assent, dissent, allowing the government to impossibly and impose reasonable regulations so long as they don't unduly burden the right to abortion that the court 
in this case the Supreme Court, has already recognized. The court's decision supporting the teen, Kavanaugh argued, is ultimately based on a constitutional principle, as novel as it is wrong, a new right for unlawful immigrant minors in the U.S. government detention to obtain immediate abortion on demand. Still, even before he began his stint on the appellate court, Kavanaugh asserted that the that, that, that he would follow Roe v. Wade as established precedent, and in his confirmation hearings to join the D.C. appellate court, this of course before his nomination to the Supreme Court, Kavanaugh assured Senator Chuck Schumer of New York that while remaining wary with his language, as he would be more than a decade later, the Supreme Court has repeatedly held Roe v. Wade, Senator Kavanaugh said, and I don't think it would be appropriate for me to give a personal view on that matter. So in a major way, all of the tea leaves seem to indicate that Kavanaugh would respect established precedent and, in his own words, precedent that has been built upon precedent. But despite that body of jurisprudence that's been out there, the entire country seems to be roiled and rattled by this very notion that a gentleman whose own ascendance was questioned on the heels of undermining, questioning, and frankly, dismissing the entire storyline and testimony of one brave Dr. Ford who came up there with a concern, a concern that far too many women and men have repeatedly felt they could not bring out in the true light of day without being dismissed, without their reputation being undermined, and frankly, without being believed. With that ascendance being built on the backs of that testimony and that testimony being undercut every, every turn over the last few weeks, the very question of how politically motivated the court might be on this issue, on women's issues, on protecting the very identity of the American woman voice or female voice or really anyone that's been assaulted and their voice seems to be undermining the very legitimacy of the candidacy on the court. Now, there's no doubt that this vote went in as it has been built in the United States Constitution by the U.S. Senate. So there's nothing illegitimate about that final vote into the court. But when it comes to the very notion of making sure that we are standing up for, yes, all women, that we are standing up for their rights, that we are standing up for anyone's ability to come out, speak, feel protected, and be heard, and feel safe in their own communities, regardless of where Kavanaugh's vote comes down on Roe v. Wade, that very notion, that very sentiment seems to be undermined. Now the question will be for our leaders and for our court and for our advocates and for, frankly, in these midterm collections coming up just next month, how do we ensure that we focus on the very individual voice, sentiment, and heart that has protected people in their spaces, that they feel they have an adequate right to basic access and basic health services, and that they feel that they will be heard in a way that continues to safeguard the very institution that this country was built on to give us your tired, your hungry, your poor, your disaffected. Those voices are going to need to feel some sort of safe harbor because on the heels of the last two weeks, that safety, that very concern has drastically been undercut, and the objective opinion of the Supreme Court has seemed to be cut away. In fact, taking a look at a different issue and pairing it up with this notion of how the court has or has not been politicized, we should look no further than investigating the president. Again, like on the topic of abortion, Kavanaugh's past statement on the extent and limits of executive power offer fodder for multiple different interpretations. On the one hand, he cut his teeth as a young lawyer serving as an aide to Kenneth Starr. Yet, 
That same Ken Starr, the independent counsel who led the investigation of President Clinton back in the 90s. On the other hand, he voiced resistance to such probes about a decade later. After serving for years in the administration of George W. Bush, he said, Having seen firsthand how complex and difficult that job is, I believe it's vital that the president be able to focus on the never-ending tasks with as few distractions as possible. That was written in a 2009 Law Review article laying out his case for a statute protecting sitting presidents from investigations. So if we really want a check on presidential malfeasance, and many would argue that now at all times in American history, it's a check that we so dramatically need, Kavanaugh argued and has argued in the past that the Constitution has already given one uh, to us. That's by the impeachment by Congress. In fact, he said we should not burden a sitting president with civil suits criminal investigations, or criminal prosecutions. The president's job is difficult enough as is, he said, and the country loses when the president's focus is distractions, distracted by the burdens of civil litigation or criminal investigation and possible prosecution. So when we take a look at the makeup of the Supreme Court, we not only examine a very political concept that was drastically focused on the status and protection of the voice of women when it comes to matters of abortion rights, when it comes to a matter of believing those victims of sexual assaults, still undercut by statements of neutrality, alleged neutrality by Kavanaugh, but even on the separate concept of investigating this president at a time in which investigations on taxes, on Russian interference, on any aspect of the violation of the emoluments clause and his personal gaining of wealth of power while sitting in power, all of those investigations, according to this new justice, which has tipped the scales of the court, maybe shouldn't really be there. It's a bother. It's a devoiding distraction. So when we ask ourselves whether the highest institution in the land remains unpoliticized, remains still a stalwart objective check on the two other political branches of government, how can we actually be comfortable in the state and in the voice of the identity of the Supreme Court? How can we actually feel comfortable that the very balance of powers and the very separation of balance of powers that these checks in all three corners were supposed to create will still provide that adequacy when our own statements from new nominees to the court have very much indicated a tendency to reflect political will and the political body of those who nominate them. In fact, just last week, Justices Sotomayor and Kagan were featured at a live town hall talk at Princeton University. And almost surprisingly, Justice Kagan said that oftentimes the justices are very close in their opinions together, and they see eye to eye on various aspects of bodies of law and how that informs America's day-to-day -day understanding of both statutes and policies. But when they are divided, Kagan continued, they're quite bitterly divided, and you can often get a general steer from where the court might be going based off of who nominated that individual justice. An incredible admission by a sitting Supreme Court justice to indicate that more often than not, when you take a look at votes, everything that had to do with sides of issues that perhaps the liberal wing of the country may agree with, including protecting the, protecting the Affordable Care Act or marriage equality under the Obama administration, all the way to matters around the corner, including abortion, presidential power, gun rights, affirmative action, all of that could easily be tipped simply on the notion of politics and which president appointed that individual. 
that means that the very identity and nature of the Supreme Court, as it's increasingly politicized, will need to grasp at the very core of what our country has meant to be made of based off of a set of laws. Without those laws and without an objective interpretation of those laws, that very check on American power has the risk of being threatened. And arguably, while Brett M. Kavanaugh, our new justice on the bench, will continue to deliver statements of neutrality and will continue to weigh in, 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 in uh, with objective language, undoubtedly these issues, these issues that a sitting president that has expressly uh, offered frustrations with abortion, that this sitting president that has expressly offered frustrations with its own internal investigations about itself, this president that has offered frustrations about individuals who want to curb or add common sense restrictions on gun rights, undoubtedly this justice may, according to his own peer, Lena Kagan, follow the cues of the president who nominated him. That provides very, very seldom news for those that believe that the entire exercise of the Supremes is to interpret the law objectively, take a look at the eccentricities of the case, and then weigh in. Now, perhaps we should not dismiss these individuals outright, and may, perhaps we should not dismiss the court in an outright way, as it has offered us bodies of law and case precedent that has drastically informed the direction of this country and, frankly, bent the long arc of freedom towards justice. But when you take a look at your peers, we ask one another around the country how they feel about the nomination of Kavanaugh, how they felt about the testimony of Dr. Ford, and how they feel about the role of men in confronting these issues, and frankly, how we feel about the court as an institution. That sense of trust, that sense of hope, that sense of optimism, that sense of objective ruling, it seems to have dissipated in recent days. American Enough had an opportunity to talk to a number of individuals, college students, senior citizens, random passersby, even non-citizens of the United States, to understand where exactly their emotions have felt on the heels of the next justice of our Supreme Court. Hey, this is Vikram Iyer with the American NF podcast distributed by Mouth Media Network. Just wanted to give you a friendly reminder to make sure you like and subscribe the pod wherever it is that you do your daily dosage of podcasting. We're on the uh, iTunes store, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever it is you get your daily dosage of pods. And be sure to tune in over the next several weeks as we have a number of exciting guests who were uh, able to record with us live on the margins of the UN General Assembly out in New York city at the concordia summit everything from bitcoin and the future of decentralized networks to housing advocates to immigration advocates to gun reform advocates you're going to want to make sure that you don't miss a beat there so make sure to tune back in next week and whenever it is that you get your next dosage of american enough you said that part of the reason why you're sitting here today is have conversations around men listening to women um random question for you do you, how, how do you feel about the importance of that kind of conversation in light of just a few hours ago, you know, Brett Kavanaugh being confirmed to the Supreme Court? It is very important because I think a lot of what's happening around the country or everywhere in the world is that we are extremely disconnected. We have no idea other than, especially now we have all this social media and stuff, we're all living in our bubbles, reconfirming our reality, not really looking out of the bubble to really see what is going on. 
But it's also good stuff which is happening, I feel like, is because uh, we can't hide anymore. You know, it's basically everything, all the dark corners are coming out. And, and, and that means that whether you want us wake up or not, you, it's right here, you know. Uh, and, and actual, any action comes from actually, first step is to listen. First step is actually to be able to sit together and, and, and be open and listen. And I'm here to actually embody that and actually to know because I, I don't know how to be or what it means to be a woman or her life or what, I have no idea. So, so I want first to just actually sit here and just listen um, with completely open mind and open heart. And actually, what does it even mean? So I can have an idea, but actually sitting here, I can actually really know that and actually experience that. I'm kind of curious about this notion of um, now that we have, you know, arguably more opportunities, as you said, to talk about some of those dark realities, dark corners of, of individuals' pasts. Um, on the one hand, especially with the rise of disclosures in 2017 and Time Magazine honoring the women of, of Me Too, and of course Dr. Ford coming forward, you know, bravely um, about this Supreme Court now justice. On the one hand, it feels like this is the moment in time in which transparency and sunlight uh, is being celebrated. On the other hand, it, it seems like certain outcomes, whether it's not just a vote for a, a court bench, but the way in which also people you know, decide to um, either overlook someone's confession, dismiss it, um, it seems like for as much coming forward, there's a lot of also silencing that could be created trying to personally feel like how do we reconcile some of those tensions totally for sure um, and I the first thing which initially I a part of me wants to react like you know how can you not see at least the one I see the point of view and and it seems to be so you know where, where is the empathy here where where is that actually this openness to really see that this can also exist but another part of me sees that it's actually very natural almost like uh, like a very animalistic part of us to defend ourselves, like defend our point of view and, and close down actually further. So and that's what I'm seeing is because especially when, when these dark realities are coming out, the first reaction, people take it very personally, you know, because they have held on to their belief or identity, it's now under threat. So, so initial response is to attack back, the, you know, and, and, and close down further. But I think um, that can really separate us but also there's an opportunity right there is to actually for us to 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 open and, and actually see and really hear uh, and yeah I mean because and that's a, a, this project I would say is like actually a manifestation of that the, the, sidewalk talk yeah I feel like that because 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 we are already coming from a point of view trying to you make you believe something or you wanting me to believe your point of view but not actually really just take some time to listen to each other. Maybe they're not in conflict at all. Your reality and my reality are not at all in conflict. And, and once we really connect, then from there we can actually, you know, move forward. Uh, Especially, I would imagine, with like, you know, 63 million Americans having voted for this president. Of course, you have a, kind of a rising trend of populism throughout South America, certain parts of Europe. There's this moment in time in which the views of people that someone might say are just intellectually incorrect or academically incorrect 
are still piercing through and bringing forth change, whether we like that change or not, by way of candidates, by way of elected out, elected outcomes, policy outcomes. And I feel like instead of dismissing our fellow countrymen and women, engaging them probably seems like the most worthwhile pursuit at this point in time. Absolutely. I mean, believe it or not, the country is divided. You can't kick out half the country. <laughs> it's not possible. Um, and, uh, and I also don't believe this very dark narrative that all of them are voting. I think that I think a lot of people are voting because there's no choice. Like they they see the choice, you know, the very limiting choices, uh, and uh, and you can't con reconcile all they believe in and also see this other part of it. So that's basically why people are being put into boxes, you know, because nobody is this one. Eth black and white you know, because we're very complex and very, so when, when we bring it all together into this very single dimensional black or white that's when this we see this huge divide actually when we sit together and talk and really listen to each other we have more common stuff than actually not common stuff that's that's what I believe in um, it's more nuanced yeah it's very nuanced very nuanced um, and and that's why the system whole system is designed to break that and make it into all this, you know, you versus me and, and divide it, yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's very unfortunate. And, and the only way to break all of this, as you said, is I think to can really connect at the people level and, and, and really open ourselves up to see beyond our... our and, and it's not intellectual. That's why it's, it, I can try to convince you intellectually as much as I can, but ultimately our emotions is what rules us. Our, our actions, you know, that's where we act from, uh, and and a lot of people have been emotionally put into these boxes, and they don't have a choice out. So, and that's why this connection at the emotional level is very important, not intellectual. I can never convince you to, you know, at an intellectual level to do the right thing. <laughs> but but hopefully, if you're if you brought in your base of empathy, um, you can at least understand and rationalize why someone may come down in one direction or another as opposed to just dismissing it outright. We're just a few hours after um, one of the most, not only significant Supreme Court nominations in our history, but one of the most contentious fights to place a justice on the bench. What are you feeling? What are you thinking? How has this process been for you? Well, I have to say that I'm very disappointed in the way it ended up, but I knew it was going to end up that way. It feels as if there, women have made very little progress, if in fact all of the women that were voting, so many of them voted in favor of him. It's just, to me, it's unconscionable and immoral. Is there a particular identity, as, as women yourselves, is there a particular identity to stand up for women and stand up for voices that you feel female members of the U.S. Senate should be embodying? surprising as well to think that women would actually not support the Me Too movement and all that's going on. I think there is a sea change afoot and I think we're going to see it. I think it's taking time. It's going to be taking decades before the patriarchy comes down. But I think our identity is shifting, but not fast enough and not unfortunately for the Supreme Court decision. It, it seems like on one hand, particularly with the arc of last year's coverage around the Me Too movement, and of course the heroic testimony of Dr. Ford, that on the one hand there's a lot of 
sunlight an opportunity to talk about instances of assault, of, of just really dark corners of, of individual realities, and yet there isn't a lot of attention paid to them. They're easily dismissed or overlooked or voted against. How do we, as a country, and frankly, perhaps me as a man, asking the question, how can we do better? was the way his demeanor, his demeanor was really um, beyond what I would expect of a person that was going to be so high, such high profile in our country. During his testimony. Yes. And so I worry that not only his way of acting, but the way our president acts and so many role models for our youth are acting, that we are projecting something out for them in terms of behavior that's totally... Um, destructive and I think I will hope I would hope that young men will find some really good role models other than these people that are in their face all the time acting the way they're acting thank you so much I appreciate you taking this out thank you so um, you're a relatively young man in America, and there's been a lot of conversation over the last couple of weeks and, frankly, a couple of years about the role of, of men as we think about um, elements of the sorry, sir, Me Too movement. Certainly, we saw on display um, pretty powerful testimony from Dr. Ford when she was talking about um, our now-confirmed Supreme Court justice. Just curious what your thoughts are on um, how men can play a role in sort of making everyone feel safe when they have concerns like Dr. Ford raised? I mean, firstly, what I thought was like the most remarkable part of the Me Too movement, and specifically how Trump played a role in it, was how he kind of turned the victims from the women to the men, as like he kind of made it seem as though men were the one that were being, men were being um, taken advantage of by like people that may be wrongly accusing them, and how like how powerful he has been in that position and his ability to really like take the women who are like the real victims of this issue and place that blame and that like uh, that feeling onto the men because they can be wrongly accused by it which is really I don't know I think that's a terrible terribly powerful gift that he has Um, and going forward I think what men have to do is kind of realize that Firstly, we aren't the ones who are victims, um, and to be responsible to acknowledge that and to accept that we aren't. Um, and how, how do you feel? Um, you know, America is always sort of one of its biggest exports, aside from like culture and movies and and goods and products, has been our moral authority and our sort of convictions as a democracy. Um, arguably, uh, the past few weeks, um, some could argue, argue even longer, has created a lot of division in America. Um, certainly, the confirmation of now Justice Kavanaugh has done that as well. Um, what do you think this entire uh, conversation, um, particularly stoked by Dr. Ford, what does this mean in terms of our American identity? Do you think that American can still be perceived abroad as having sort of the values of transparency and justice and due process in the way that we tend to try and encourage other countries to adopt? Um, I think that America is going to have a hard time getting out of this recession in 
moral um, morality. Um, I think that it's going to be hard to gain respect, especially, and right now, at uh, a university, um, I'm meeting a lot of people from different places, and hearing their perspectives on what they think of America is kind of frightening, because I don't think it, how they would be speaking about America would have been the same a few years ago. Like, I don't think that they would think of it as a joke, or think of, like, the political situation as something so humorous, or not, not just humorous, but scary, and kind of in a bad, in a sad way, funny. Um, I think that that kind of shows where we are right now, but hopefully I'm thinking, at least after kind of seeing student reaction to it, um, I think there's kind of hope for where it's going to go, and I think that like a lot of people are registering to vote, and there's a change that can come and should come, and hopefully will come, um, come November. Cool. Thank you. I appreciate it, man. This has been American Enough with Vikram Iyer. American Enough is a production of Mouth Media Network. Contact Vikram with your comments and questions at 844-4-VIKRAM and connect with the show on social media at American Enough. Theme music by Chris Thomas. Episodes available at AmericanEnoughPodcast.com and everywhere the best podcasts are found. To learn more about Mouth Media Network and how you can partner with this podcast, visit MouthMediaNetwork.com. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the hosts, callers, and guests, and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of Mouth Media Network. No portion of this show may be reproduced, published, or rebroadcast without the express written permission of the producers. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.